This is Property Today on the Agenda. With Morass and Dubai Properties. For the most extensive real estate portfolio in Dubai, choose Morass and Dubai Properties. Hello there and thank you for downloading this Property Today podcast from the 20th of February. And on the programme today, alongside Mohanad Alwadir, the wolf of real estate, we discussed all the top real estate stories hitting the headlines over the last week, including plans by Mohamed Alabar to build a $3.5 billion island project off the coast of Abu Dhabi. Mohanad also gave us his advice on the different ways that you can calculate the return on your investment in real estate. Meanwhile, we turned our attention to the crisis in Turkey and Syria. After thousands of buildings collapsed, we spoke to Turkish structural engineer Dr. Yasmin Didem Aktas. She's from the Department of Civil, Environmental and Geomatic Engineering at University College London. She talked us through just why so many buildings in Turkey collapsed in a pancake fashion. Plus, Mohanad Alwadir took all of your questions, ranging from where to invest and whether or not you can pull equity from an office building to buy a villa. This is Property Today on the Agenda. With Morass and Dubai Properties. For the most extensive real estate portfolio in Dubai, choose Morass and Dubai Properties. Hello there. Welcome back to the Agenda. Welcome back to Property Today. It is our special uh, real estate segment when we get to talk about all the big property stories making headlines with a very special co-host, Mohanad Alwadir, the Wolf of Real Estate, joins me in the studio. Hello. Always happy to be here. What a wonderful way to start the week. Well, it's... Well, uh, it's always lovely to have you with us. I missed uh, you last and, week. And especially when you're dressed in red. I the, am always, the, yes. The famous uh, the poster famous... picture. <laughs> Do you know, I have uh, I have to admit that wearing red is, when, I, when I'm wearing red, it usually means I'm quite tired. Because ah, I, feel no like, yeah, I feel like the red <laughs> takes away from my face. People, ah. people notice the red more than the bags under my eyes. That's my policy. Uh, this, of course, doesn't work if you're not watching us on Facebook Live. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so tune in to Facebook tune Live. Tune in to Facebook Live and then you'll, and then you'll get the gist of the conversation. Uh, but how was last week when I was away? Very uh, good. And yes. uh, the whole week was super busy. Yeah. Uh, we had the World Government uh, Summit. Of course I was, you did. I was there the three days covering. Yeah. Uh, and also we had the International Property Show. I know we're going to cover that. We're uh, definitely covering that in a minute. Yeah. And um, I had to do also a couple of interviews with uh, Forbes magazine because uh, they asked me to interview the Minister of Housing of Egypt. So they wanted somebody who's a real expert. All on the same day on Monday, by the way. <laughs> My gosh, Monday and, must have been exhausting. So you did two radio shows. Two radio shows. Interviewed the head of housing in Egypt. IPS and the uh, government uh, summit. And the World Government <laughs> Summit. What were the big topics at the World Government Summit from a property they actually, perspective? They actually covered all aspects of life um, in terms of uh, technology, sustainability, social uh, uh, improvement. Um, so, And it all impacts real estate directly or indirectly. Because, yeah. you know, I always say people don't buy real estate. They buy the lifestyle. So when you when you tackle all of these aspects, you're definitely, you know, affecting or impacting real estate um, in some sort. And it was beautiful uh, organization. I mean, well done. Again. Oh, they nail it every year. Uh, they, yeah, yeah. Th- this was the 10th edition and they've done a m- remarkable job. They've got a very impressive list of speakers. Mm. Uh, it was so uh, weird walking around and I'm just rubbing shoulders with ministers, with like uh, top celebrities. It was yeah. amazing. Um, every All the VIPs were there during the days. And you know what? Despite the fact it was so crowded, it was extremely well organized. Yeah. And the sessions were really, really rewarding and fulfilling. You know, sometimes you go to these uh, seminars or conferences 
and the content is not quite you know it's just a uh, bit boring it, it's not inspiring it's yeah. like oh, I know this I've heard this they're just saying it in a different way there there were a lot of like really inspiring sessions amazing messages um, and it, it just makes you feel more optimistic about the future yes well i mean what's fantastic is you bring all these brilliant minds together yeah. and they they're in lovely surroundings but so they get plenty of opportunities to have in you know to to, to have fascinating talks that and, will then prompt more ideas and to, exactly to collaborate to come up with ideas that they can implement on the ground and mm. uh, the emphasis on technology was phenomenal i mean did the, you talk about chat gpt with uh, everyone everybody was talking about it yeah. you know um, all the sessions were bringing it up which was very impressive even um, presidents, um, uh, Elon uh, Musk, Sheikhs, of Elon Musk, everybody yeah. mentioned it. Yeah. So, well, do you know, <laughs> I read an article over the weekend that pointed out that one of the only people or one of the only big tech companies that hasn't talked about it is Apple. So we haven't heard anything from Tim Cook about ChatGPT. They haven't brought anything out. Obviously, Microsoft have brought yes. out their Bing Yes. What's it called? The Scribe or yeah, something? Yeah, the equivalent of ChatGPT. Yeah, and ChatGPT is just crying out for a rebrand. Honestly, they've got to change the they name. They have to change the name. They have to change yeah. the name. I think um, uh, they're definitely working on something. They must be. Yeah, they, they must but be. But they're doing it the uh, the right way. They're keeping it undercover and then suddenly they'll come up and wow the whole world. I have to say Siri's <laughs> really irritating. So I, I hope it's not uh, it's not Siri. Yeah, maybe they come up or maybe upgrade Siri. <laughs> she, she or he, it, it needs an upgrade. It's probably yeah. right now calling somebody because you know how it can just, you just say when Siri. When you see Siri and she wakes Siri, up. she starts doing yeah. stuff randomly. I, I recommend they change the name to, I think, to yeah. Georgia. Uh, yes. And in fact, if they want to use my voice, although actually every time I say that, no, you don't want them to use your voice because that renders you entirely obsolete. Of course. <laughs> so they don't need you anymore. Yeah, you so know, no, I'm going to box technology, my voice. Technology sometimes can get annoying. Uh, the other okay. day I was driving and um, I received a call. I was on the phone. I have two phones. I was on the phone. <laughs> And then being uh, driven, note. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, of course, it was on. on uh, I had the he- headphone. And, yeah. And the other phone was connected to my car, and my car had this smart system, you know. Uh, but not that smart. Not that smart because I was on the phone and it rang. So the person with me on the line was like, Do you want to pick that? I was like, No, I'm not going to answer. And when it heard answer, it answered. Oh, no. <laughs> So I had two, two phone calls. Two calls. And they're two clients. Two important people. I couldn't keep them together. You couldn't. Oh, so, gosh. So it was very embarrassing, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, now tell me about this new project that Mohammed Alabar has announced. $3.5 billion. Yes. Uh, Abu Dhabi. It's off the coast of Abu Dhabi. It's going to be called Rahman Island. Rahman Island, yes. Yeah. It's, it's a very impressive project, uh, which I think is um, fulfilling the demand for such waterfront uh, projects, luxury projects. Yeah. As we've seen last year, the demand for luxury projects was at its peak. Mm. Uh, we believe that momentum will continue. Um, and again, as we're uh, always used to Dubai and the UAE, they just captured the opportunity, launched this project. And it's going to be really impressive. It's uh, developed by uh, Eagle Hills, yeah. uh, which is renowned to be or claimed to be like a a replica of Amar. Okay. Because it's run by Mr. Uh, Al-Abbar. So um, it's definitely going to be a project to watch for. Uh, a good, forward. reliable one yes. to invest in. Yes. So I still, I'm still having conversations with my husband over the weekend as whether or not we're missing a trick and that Abu Dhabi, now that Dubai has become relatively unaffordable on a villa level, you know, if you want a, if you want a four-bedroom family home, it sort of feels quite unaffordable now. But 
Abu Dhabi doesn't. And so maybe it's time to get in in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, there is potential there for sure. But honestly, what you said about Dubai is not completely correct because, for example, they're our sponsors and we love them. But uh, Dubai Properties, for example, offers a lot of opportunities uh, for people to buy really decent, well-sized, high quality within beautiful communities, uh, villas. Mm -hmm. So you have projects like uh, Mudun, Uh, yeah. You have uh, um, uh, Arabella, for example. Uh, they have a lot of nice uh, Villanova. They have a lot of projects that are really nice villas, and they're quite affordable. You'll be surprised. They're not um, in in the high end markets, yes, but I they're mean, within. They're not the palm, but yeah, and, and they're beautiful. I call them like uh, beautiful pockets in Dubai. Communities, yeah. lush green. Uh, and they're situated and built for families to enjoy. And okay. they're still very affordable. I won't start heading down towards the capital then. I will keep my... I mean, the commute would be a pain in the... In the uh, yeah, I think, pain. I think it would be a pain, yeah, to, yeah. to commute. But until they build the Etihad, until Etihad rails running and then you can whiz backwards and forwards on the train. Exactly. That would be nice. Yes. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, how about um, the Dubai Future Foundation signing an agreement with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology? MIT. MIT, yeah. They're launching the Middle East's first ever sensible city lab. That's a sort of global MIT initiative that researches and tests pilot projects for planning of uh, planning urbanization and the rapid growth of cities. Is this this must be something you're involved in? Uh, not directly, not directly, not but, directly. Yeah. But I think it all fits very well with the Dubai uh, Master Urban Plan uh, for 2040. Okay, um, yeah, it's this definitely was brought into the picture uh, just to. Uh, validate whatever plans are being put in place uh, by an institutional, well-renowned organization or yeah. institute like MIT to come and just validate these plans. Because I always say if you want to do things right, it has to be fact-based. You yes. have to research it, vet it, validate it to ensure that it's you know going to do what you expect it to do. And this is the Dubai way now. They always do things on a fact-based manner. So, And again, by going back to last week, the summit, The emphasis on the importance of data and knowledge and mm. uh, is was very prominent. Throughout. So not just sentiment. It's like no, we look at the we look at the graphs. Yes, we so, look at the maths. So this is, I think, was brought in as an initiative to complement the Dubai mm -hmm. Urban Plan, which is uh, again very a very promising plan for a very promising city to yeah. make it even more uh, human scale, more green, more sustainable, more uh, safer, and more rewarding for yes. people who want to invest or live in it. Yeah, that's the... So they're calling it the Sensible City Lab. They could call it the Sense Check City Lab, I think. <laughs> yes, that's... But it gives you a I sense, agree. yeah. Gives you a sense of what you expect. They should have come to us for the... Yeah, we're good at marketing. <laughs> we're good at this. We can come up with names. Sense Check City Lab. Uh, says it does exactly what it says on the tin. Okay, let's mm -hmm. talk about the International Property Show, which does do exactly what it says yes. on the tin. You, I mean, this, this is your... This is your bread and butter, a property show. Um, there are there are two mega uh, uh, events that happen for the industry. One of them is Cityscape and the other is the uh, IPS, International Property Show. I think this was the 19th uh, version of the IPS. And it was, um, again, it gathered uh, all the industry stakeholders, developers, uh, service providers, uh, investors, uh, uh, Everybody was there. The whole community. Uh, and under the supervision of Dubai Land Department and endorsement of Dubai Land Department. So 
it was a very successful event uh, a lot of uh, attendees a lot of uh, interactions it was also good for us to go and just see everybody in one day you know sometimes yeah. i wish i have the time to go visit everyone they were all there and i just got to meet everybody at one go yes um, i describe it um unfairly as shooting fish in a barrel which is certainly not <laughs> how you should see networking but but it is the quickest way to do it and, and it was a very good experience i mean uh, from an um, people listening if you wanted to for example buy a property Uh, to live in it or for investment that would have been a good place if you wanted to even consider options abroad because the yes. show also hosts a lot of uh, international players to come and display their projects or ser- their services so it was a good idea also to have them there ask them direct questions about their markets uh, the pros and cons of investing in these markets the opportunities available so it's it's always different you know mm. i know technology helps you go yeah. uh, and research or ask chat gpt or google for uh, information about any market if you want to invest in but it's always different when you meet the people you know coming there participating and you just talk to them so there were a lot of countries participating with great opportunities for investment and also they had local uh, developers and uh, as i mentioned dubai land department was there also uh, and honestly well done to them they keep Every time they go to any of these exhibitions, they're super well prepared. They have a lot of initiatives. They're embracing technology a lot, sustainability, transparency in data. They're coming up with a lot of initiatives, which is very assuring. When you have the policy setters uh, working hard to uh, cement the legal framework and the infrastructure for an industry like the real estate industry in Dubai, it's very fulfilling and very assuring for us, you know, as Um, as part of that community, ultimately, as, that as business. partners of this industry, as yeah. stakeholders in this industry, so it, it sends a very good message. They were there, very active. I also had the stand for my book there. We sold a lot. Sold, good for you. We, we sold out. Actually, I, the publishers are so happy. That's fantastic. <laughs> I got I got it pride of place on, on my coffee table. Uh, yes, so so yeah. it was good. I had a whole stand just for my book, and it, it did extremely well. Good. Um, so yeah, it was. A very good experience. Fantastic. Right. Well, Mohanad, we're going to keep you in the studio for the next 45 minutes. Plenty of questions coming through for you already on the line. Yeah. Uh, do add to those. We'll be able to run through them at the end of the programme, 4001, or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 Any questions that you've got from Mohanad? He had, like, we haven't managed to to find one that he won't answer yet. So you can make them as difficult as you like or as controversial as you like, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind. And I, I always, uh, I mentioned to you the other day when uh, during the summit when you tried chat GPT against me. Yes, he won. <laughs> I he won. won. Yeah. <laughs> We do still have a use for humans. Yes. Thank goodness for once. This is Property Today on the Agenda. With Morass and Dubai Properties. For the most extensive real estate portfolio in Dubai, choose Morass and Dubai Properties. Hello there. Welcome back to Property Today. Georgia Tolly here alongside Mohanad Awadir, Wolf of Real Estate. Still here. <laughs> still here. Still not going anywhere. Watching yes. the uh, questions roll in on the uh, text lines. Do keep them coming. You can ask Mohanad literally anything. For, I mean, what we, one question we get every single week is, why? Sh- where should I be buying? You know, if I was going to buy in Dubai, where should I buy? I think more than where is also what should you be buying ah. what kind of asset class and then decide where i mean there is a very high demand for uh, villas and townhouses there is also demand for uh, income producing uh, properties mm-hmm. that can get you at least a six and a half seven percent roi uh, return uh, on income uh, rental income and also uh, there is demand for holiday homes so if you 
know that these are the assets you should go after, then you can define where are the areas that you should uh, find these assets in. I'd like to get to, uh, for us to turn now to our tutorial with sure. you. Sure, yes. And, and what's the theme for us this week? What are you going to focus on? I want to talk about the returns from investment because uh, this, I mean, I depicted this trend. Uh, a lot of uh, brokers, a lot of investors um, right now when they're looking for opportunities, they are very focused on the returns they get. Yes. And I just wanted to shed the light to educate people a little bit uh, about what uh, the returns mean. In real estate. So uh, real estate is different as an asset class compared to other asset classes. So, for example, a lot of people right now are comparing gold or or deciding should I go for gold, investment in gold or real estate. Uh, Each one of them has pros and cons, obviously. And my advice is always diversify. You can't live in gold. That would be my instinct. (laughs) I I agree. But also, but but gold is great. They call it the safe haven, especially during, you know, turbulence or unrest, global unrest uh, uh, and crisis uh, situations. But... The main difference, in my opinion, is that gold doesn't give you cash flow. Okay. Gold only appreciates in value. So with real estate, you have two kinds of uh, returns. You have the rental returns. Um, for example, if you buy a property, Georgia, for a million dirhams, and we can rent it for 80000 that means you're getting 8% yep. rent returns, right? That would be good. You're not getting 8% anywhere else at the moment. <laughs> that's, that's very good. But also, and this is something that a lot of people don't pay attention to, you get the capital appreciation, Right. So you get that other kind of returns. Yeah. So real estate gives you both. But in gold, for example, you only get the capital appreciation. But you also don't have any expense. With gold. I agree. See, that's that's how you should uh, evaluate it. But, okay. but this is where I want to start the tutorial okay. part. So most of the brokers here or most of the ads you see, they just say uh, expiry, these three letters, return on investment, right? Which is not the complete picture because one, you need to look at the this is only the rent side. You're not taking into consideration also the capital appreciation. Okay. So you, when you're looking at real estate, you should look at something we call the total returns, which is a combination of both the rental returns and the capital appreciation returns. Now, when you look at the rental returns, you should also, as you correctly mentioned, deduct all the operational expenses like a business, right? So when somebody tells you, and this is a watch out you know, just for everybody listening, when you see an ad that says 8% ROI, so they're only telling you about the rental returns, not the capital appreciation. And because it's harder to calculate, right? But when they tell you 8%, you need to understand that this is also gross. It's not net. So you have to ask, is this net or gross? 99% of the time is the gross. Yeah. And according to the asset type, the net could vary. So for example, if I'm telling you that um, this is 8% on a villa, which is very rare to find, it's a very good thing because the net could be maybe 7% because the service charges, the fees of, you know, the... Uh, that will go into an annual expenses are relatively less compared to apartments. So if you tell me 8% gross in an apartment, I might say it's 6%. Because you've got to pay service charge. You have to pay service charges, property management fees, insurance fees. If the unit is vacant, right, you have to also account that uh, deducted as an expense. You have to pay for maintenance other than service charges, like regular maintenance. And often, if you're renting an apartment, do you often have to pay for the air conditioning for your tenants as well? Sometimes. If it's part of district cooling and they don't have sub-meters, then it's something that the owner has to shoulder or pay. So, But, for example, if we go to a hotel apartment, hotel apartments, if I tell you 8%, maybe the net could be 4 or 5%. Because they're taking higher fees. fees are very high. So this is part of the education I would like to shed the light on. So now... Just to clarify, when you hear ROI, please understand that this is only for the rental and most of the time it's gross. So you need to do your math 
and get the net. And also you need to take into consideration the capital appreciation expected. And real estate on the long run enjoys this. I've, I know our parents, grandparents, everybody keeps saying, I bought this house 30 years ago. Look how much or this land or what. It, they always, you know, brag about how much oh, it yeah. went up. It's always in, gone up by 10 at right? least. So, so that's the capital appreciation, which you need to factor in. So this is the typical or level one understanding. There's okay. another thing I just want to shed the light on very quickly, which is the return on equity or return on cash. This is very rare to hear about. And this is typically linked to properties that come with an in-house payment plan. Let me give you an example. So if I told you right now there is a property for a million dirhams and it's renting for 80,000 dirhams, you're going to tell me that's 8%, right? Yeah. Gross, as we learned, Gross. right? Now, if I told you, you don't have to pay the million up front. You pay it over 10 years, which means the first year you have to pay how much? 100,000, right? But you're getting 80,000 80. rent. Yes. So what's your return on the cash you paid so far? On the equity, or that's like eighty percent. Eighty percent return, yeah, on that on that amount on cash, right? Which is phenomenal. I don't yes. think any investment can get Ever. you that, right? Now you'll tell me what happens to the other nine hundred thousand. You know what? Put it at uh, a bond scheme. National bonds are giving Something you safe. now like five percent. So imagine your money is making you five percent, yeah, plus you're making the eighty percent on the money that you invested, which is incredible in terms of returns. Right? And do they do those deals here? Yes. This is why I'm sharing this on this show, because yeah. this is not theory. In Dubai, we have offers, we have projects with that are ready, by the way. I'm not talking about off-plan, because off-plan, you're not going to get the 80 in the example I mentioned. I'm talking about ready properties, Georgia, that you can buy with a payment plan that goes from two up to five, seven years even, and they're rented. So imagine you get returns on the cash you pay, and you can keep that extra cash Invest it in a safe instrument that gets you also returns. So this way you get the maximum of, out of your money, right? So I'm going to get into trouble for asking this question from the team no. in the control room. No, no, sure. no, because I'm already a minute over. Sure. But what's the catch? There the, must be a catch. The only, the only catch, honestly, these units typically come with a slightly higher price. That's the only okay. catch. But not high compared to what the banks will charge you as an interest rate. So, so it's still there is it, it isn't that much of a catch if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, no, that but, doesn't. But honestly, like for example, if it's a million dirhams and it's renting for eighty, if you pay cash for it, you might get it for nine hundred or nine fifty. Uh, Mahana Dawadia there, Wilford Real Estate, talking about returns on investment in real estate and those amazing deals uh, that you can find in Dubai. My next question to him will be, where do you find them? This is Property Today on the Agenda. With Morass and Dubai Properties. For the most extensive real estate portfolio in Dubai, choose Morass and Dubai Properties. Hello there. Welcome back to the Agenda. Welcome back to Property Today. Mahana Dawadia, Wilford Real Estate in the studio. So many questions for you about this um, what was it? What were we saying? Return on cash or equity yes. projects? Where okay, so where are these mythical? I'd say mythical, but they're real. Yeah, these they're mythical, real. They're not theory. Uh, so look, and, and and they were they were emerging a lot during the downturn. Yes. Now, as the market is uh, hyped up or yes. is, is going through a phase of you know recovery, uh, positive the recovery. Waves. Say, the waves. We don't say we don't say bubbles. We say yes, waves. Waves. Uh, I think they've become less because it's a seller's market. But yeah. there are still options. I mean. Uh, I, I told you and, uh, when we were off air that there are some in Dubai land, yeah. uh, one bedrooms that go for almost like 500,000 dirhams or less. 
ready, rented, and you pay over seven years. There is an option in Jumeirah Village. I know it's a very circle, which is a very popular area. Very popular area. Uh, with a five-year payment plan, ready, rented. Uh, they go for like 600000 for the one bed. And you pay over five years. And there is in Business Bay, uh, one of the, it was ranked actually the top community uh, or district in Dubai last year in terms of number of transactions. So there is an option there for offices, shops, and even apartments with a payment plan ready. Goodness. So And this, these are directly funded by the sellers. Um, and uh, the buyers will get a title deed in their name locked against a, a payment plan. And as I mentioned, it's a great way to get uh, explosive returns on your investment. Yeah. And you can still keep the cash with you invested in other instruments that can get you very high uh, returns and enjoy like uh, owning property without having to go through the banks and the IBOR and the rising interest rates. Really interesting stuff. So many questions coming in. We will come to those in sure. a few minutes. <laughs> Mohanad Awadir, happy to answer any of your questions uh, on real estate, property, landlords, the whole nine yards. Uh, but we are now going to turn our attention uh, to an international story, which, of course, we've been covering a lot here on the agenda. Uh, it is that tragic earthquake in Turkey and Syria. And, of course, its effect on the buildings in both countries. Now, observers have noticed that in Turkey in particular, thousands of lives were lost as people's homes, which of course you normally see as your sanctuary, essentially collapsed in the tremors and and crushed them between apartment floors. Now, this so-called pancaking effect can be prevented, according to experts. And I spoke to one of them, Turkish structural engineer, Dr. Yasmin Didem Aktes. Now, she's from the Department of Civil, Environmental and Geometric Engineering at the University College London. I asked her when I spoke to her late, late last night whether it's possible to prevent buildings from collapsing in these really severe earthquakes like the one that we saw uh, the week before last? Our knowledge of earthquake engineering is quite sufficient to build buildings that can resist earthquakes of very large magnitudes as well. Uh, It only requires for you to understand the context very well, uh, the requirements for a building, the site conditions, and so on and so forth. But definitely we do have the technical and scientific know-how to be able to design buildings that would be able to withstand any earthquakes really. What kind of construction techniques are used? Because I think for lay people, we can't sort of imagine how you would stop concrete slabs collapsing. For concrete buildings to perform better and to avoid these pancaking style collapses, one definitely needs to be focusing on the column beam connection. So the connections of different load, you know, components of the load bearing system needs to be very, very well. But also one of the things that we have seen quite commonly in Turkey was the soft story failures. And this is quite commonly observed in the ground floors. And it is due to the fact that they are slightly taller in height, but also the openings might be more than the other floors, for example, because they are housing a business And that actually means that the ground floor then becomes a little bit less rigid compared to the rest of the building. And therefore, the damage concentrates there, initiating the collapse of the entire building. How about when you get even bigger buildings? Are there things like dampeners or are there clever ways in which you can design buildings so that they can withstand heavy shaking? Absolutely. There are a lot of advanced techniques that we can use to be able to dissipate the energy and isolate the building 
The dampers are one of them. The seismic isolators are another advanced technique. But also, if you are actually designing quite a tall structure, for example, a steel system that actually accompanies the concrete structure in such a way that it actually has diagonals and therefore the entire lateral stability of the building is improved can be also a much cheaper solution that can actually allow us to go quite high in a seismically active area. You mentioned cost there, and I imagine that quite frequently to construct earthquake-proof buildings, the reality is is that they're going to be more expensive. Um, Yes and no. I think if one doesn't push the limits too much, i.e. if you do not choose to build on a uh, ground that actually isn't very suitable or, you know, would require some advanced techniques pushing therefore the cost up, or if you do not essentially try and go very, very high, an earthquake, a seismically resistant building doesn't have to be massively costly. As I said, we have a perfectly well-established know-how to be able to make these buildings, you know, be feasible for us. But of course, you know, engineering is all about pushing the boundaries as well. And especially in large cities, you tend to build quite high buildings, etc., or try and use the land in a more efficient way. And of course, in those cases, you therefore need to expect some cost implications. Can buildings be retrofitted to make them earthquake proof or is that also expensive? Well, it is expensive, but it is definitely quite possibly not as costly as demolishing an existing building and then rebuilding it. Depends, of course. One needs to look into the numbers. But we often really opting for using the existing structures, retrofitting them and using them again, because they are, as I said, often less costly, but also they are less costly from a carbon point of view. So Mm. every building that we have in our cities actually has some sort of an embodied carbon and energy footprint. And it's also very, very important that we preserve that footprint by reusing these structures. And again, retrofitting an existing structure to make it more seismically resilient is something that we do know how to do. And therefore, we should be exploiting this sort of opportunities more rather than essentially getting rid of every single building every five years to build either some building that, that are more resilient or look nicer, etc. How do you retrofit a building? The techniques that you are going to choose to retrofit a building would require a very thorough understanding of the condition of the building first, the residual load-bearing capacity of that building, and the problems of that building, construction system, and so on and so forth. So for us to be able to answer this question, we definitely would need to study the building quite thoroughly first. But of course, there are a number of methods to do this. For example, the FRP strengthening, jacketing, increasing the sizes of various components of the load-bearing system, etc. Once we actually understand the structure, we need to see where it stands within the spectrum of seismic resiliency and then therefore design accordingly. Of course, what we saw in Turkey was thousands of buildings collapse. What does that tell you about the construction of these buildings? There must be something that definitely compromised the seismic safety in those buildings. I mean, we can, obviously, these are early days. We haven't been to the site and we haven't studied the damage in the buildings, etc. But we can confidently say that there was something that was not as desired or as, as, or as planned with those buildings. 
Because if the Turkish code was followed, the buildings should have withstood the earthquake that hit the area some 10 days ago. People who live in the area, people who are living in Istanbul, which I understand is also seismologists suggest that there could be an earthquake in the Istanbul area soon as well. People must be incredibly scared about the buildings that they're living in, whether or not they can be trusted not to collapse around them should there be another earthquake. What would you like to see change in the design of buildings and indeed cities in earthquake zones like Istanbul, like around Aleppo in Syria and and Anatolia in, in Turkey? There are a number of things. First of all, we definitely need to ensure that the code is enforced more thoroughly and more systematically, because this unfortunately isn't the case. But also, I think countries like Turkey are under pressure of growing because the population is growing and the cities are are constantly growing, etc. But we as a seismically active country, we can never lower our guard and this seismic resilience and any sort of disaster resilience really should be embedded into our urban design, which unfortunately isn't always the case. For example, in Istanbul, we know that an earthquake is going to hit. It's not a question of, of if, but it's a question of when. And when that happens, unfortunately, we expect a big disaster as well. But there are no very large areas where people could gather together in the eventuality of such a disaster. We need to have really good access routes and sort of a planning so that we can we can actually steer people in those directions, etc. So the disaster preparedness actually require a lot of scenario studying and a lot of scenario development, etc. And these all these need to be embedded in the urban design. So Turkey therefore needs to make sure that this sort of disaster preparedness considerations are embedded into its institutions and into its urban design. That was Dr. Yasmin Didem Akhtes. She's from the Department of Civil, Environmental and Geometric Engineering uh, at the University College London. Mohanad Awadir, Wolf of Real Estate, also in the studio with me here. I mean, so we heard there from Dr. Akhtes talking not just about uh, supporting the buildings, but of course, you know, urban planning, the need to design urban planning so that you do have uh, safety zones for people when they need to flee their buildings when there's going to be earthquakes. I agree. And I think... um, as uh, humans evolve and cities also have to evolve and these um, natural uh, crises or these situations actually uh, educate us and educate yes. cities and governments to learn from them and be more prepared for the future and it's very sad what's happening in Turkey and in uh, uh, what happened in Syria and all over the world and I think it's a lesson for everybody to start building uh, safer and more sustainable cities that can withstand any you know, any kind of uh, natural disasters or challenges. Absolutely. Fascinating uh, conversation there with Dr. Actas uh, about the measures that can be taken to prevent buildings from falling down in earthquakes. This is Property Today on the Agenda. With Morass and Dubai Properties. For the most extensive real estate portfolio in Dubai, choose Morass and Dubai Properties. OK, welcome back to Property Today. Georgia here alongside Mohanad Alwadir, Wolf of Real Estate. And we are in to the Q&A session and it's going to be fast and yes. furious. Short and sweet. Short and sweet, <laughs> another way of looking at it. Uh, Mahanid, can you recommend a project with a good payment plan? Uh, I mentioned three. They should listen to the 
podcast and they'll find them. That's fast. So thank you very much for that question. Prasanth has come in saying, are there any restrictions for non-UAE nationals buying property? No, Dubai uh, welcomes uh, in the freehold areas. Anybody from any nationality, they can buy and own 100% freehold. Okay, MJ says, good morning. How do I find a reputable real estate developer? Um, Start with Miras and Dubai Properties. And if you need more, just get in touch with me and I'll recommend. Okay, anonymous person here says, hello, I'm a small business owner. I own an office outright. Can I use it as collateral to get a mortgage for a bit? How much can I get out of it? Basically, you need to get in touch with the bank. They'll conduct their own valuation. Based on that, they can tell you how much you can release equity from that office based on the valuation. And then you can use that cash or funds into buying any property you want. Okay, this person, uh, also anonymous, what are the popular areas for property investment in Dubai? Um, as I think we answered this as well. It depends on the kind of asset class you're looking for, uh, whether if it's uh, villas, apartments, uh, holiday homes, uh, whatever, or offices or retail. It depends on what kind of asset class, and then you'll find the lucrative areas. Fantastic. Yeah. That was amazing. You did five in a minute. <laughs> Impressive stuff. Mohamed Awadir, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you in the studio. Thank you. My Looking pleasure. Looking forward already to next week. Uh, and if any more questions come in, can I send them through of to you? Of course, as Fantastic. always. <laughs> You've been listening to Property Today right here on the agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. If you miss any of the programme, remember you can download this episode and many more just wherever you get your podcasts, but specifically at DubaiEye1038.com. <laughs> You've been listening to a podcast of Property Today. Make sure you don't miss the next show, which is broadcast live at 11am every Monday, only on the agenda.